Welcome to episode 24 of the podcast of Lifeliner, The Judy Taylor Story. I am the author, Shireen Jijuboy. Chapter 24, Sweden. Marlene, I think I'm developing an abscess near my gastrostomy tube. Do you think you can get me some xylocaine and pack it with your stuff so that I have it for when I'm away? Judy, just how bad is this? Marlene's voice over the phone is calm, but she's having a fit at the thought of flying to Sweden with Judy suffering from an abscess. Oh no, it's routine, the usual thing. The usual thing is that pain pops up underneath the skin around her G-tube hole, Local cells die, pus collects, and huge numbers of white cells rush in, inflaming the skin into a nice red hill around the black hole until the abscess breaks and it all oozes out. Judy had said yes to going to the Gastroenterological World Congress in Stockholm from June 12th to 18th, 1982, only if someone would go with her. Marlene had volunteered. With seats booked and medical clearances completed successfully, Judy and Marlene are ready to fly. The flight attendant settles them into their seats. Aware that the plane's refrigerator contains important items for Judy, she hovers nearby whenever she can. Dinner time arrives and Judy says no to food. This puzzles the flight attendant. Judy refuses all drinks except water from the cart as well. The flight attendant is not happy. As they approach the eastern side of the Atlantic Ocean, again Judy refuses food, which brings a frown to the flight attendant's face. She comes by again with the drinks cart to try and entice her, and worries when Judy continues to say no. It's a long flight. Judy must eat something, anything. With each pass of the cart, she fusses more until finally Judy says, Well, I don't eat. The flight attendant raises her eyebrows and looks closely at her. The woman hasn't been drinking, but... Her thought trails off as she moves on, but returns quickly, sits down near this mysterious woman and asks about this non-eating business. Judy tells her, the flight attendant is enthralled, but she is no more enthralled than Ingalil Berkfist, international product manager for Intralipid, which is manufactured by Cabe Vitrum, the sponsors of the Congress. She greets Judy and Marlene at Arlanda at Stockholm Airport on Sunday, June 13th, soon after they disembark at 9.30 in the morning. She's pleased that she recognizes Judy. She whisks them to Hotel Malman, apologizing several times about having forgotten to bring Judy an IV pole. Judy had to leave Lester behind. But no matter, Judy and Marlene commandeer a coat rack from the hotel. Judy rests before learning that she's to do a taped radio interview that day. That night, she and Marlene get a hotel staff person to accompany them to the kitchen, which is closing for the day to retrieve Judy's solutions from the fridge where the hotel manager had put them. A heavy-set woman stops them as they barrel through the kitchen door. She won't let them get to the fridge. She is in charge, and the kitchen is closed. To make matters worse, her English is poor. They speak no Swedish, and the subject matter is unbelievable. We need to get into the refrigerator for her food, Marlene explains. No, 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 not serving food. Not food food, but solutions food. Not serving food. They go back and forth until finally the heavy set woman throws out an arm toward the fridge and surrender. 
Marlene opens the refrigerator door and fishes out three TPN solution bags. The woman's eyes widen, and she throws up her hands and exclaims, Why? I don't know. I don't know. Marlene explains, This is that lady's food. No, here, a sandwich. No, this is her food. Marlene taps one of the bags. No, thank you, Judy says at the same time. Here, a sandwich, she replies. No, Judy sees this back and forth isn't going to stop. She unbuttons her blouse and hauls out her langer line. The woman staggers, and Marlene reaches out to steady her. Oh, my dear, she says, recovering. She wraps her arms around Judy, telling her whatever she needs, just ask. Back in their room, the door closed against everyone but Marlene. Judy doubles over and clutches at her stomach. Marlene hands her the xylocaine for her abscess and asks, Can I do something? No. Judy breathes out. It's just a matter of time. It will drain on its own. The xylocaine numbs the pain. Relieved, Judy sits on her bed and looks at Marlene. I have my own way of doing things. Judy, you do your thing. I'm not here to tell you how to do it. Well, you know, I don't always do things exactly as told. If you need some help, I'm here. You holler, otherwise do your thing. And with that, Marlene picks up a magazine and relaxes against the headboard of her bed. Judy watches her for a moment before getting up to bring the coat rack closer to her bed. She starts her TPN routine. Marlene peeks over the top of her magazine. She notices Judy doesn't wear a mask. I'm not going to criticize her, she thinks. This woman's been doing this for eons. She resumes reading. Sharp and clear northern light filters through the curtains early, waking the two up. After breakfast, Judy asks Marlene to help her write a short summary. She feels unnerved at the idea of giving a formal talk to a room filled with doctors and nurses, but a summary she can do. However, the Swedish trip is not all work. The folks at Cabby Vitram want her to see Stockholm too. Ingelil is not always available to escort Judy, and Marlene cannot be with her all the time either as she is here to attend events at the Congress as well. And so the marketing director's secretary has been tasked to take good care of Judy. Britt Lindfist is thrilled at being given this responsibility, as she had heard about Judy and Cheech from the day she started working at Vitram AB back in the fall of 1973. Britt stays with Judy throughout much of the trip, learns to spot when she's tiring, and figures out when it's best to bypass the noisy guided tour and to go at Judy's real pace. She has planned a flexible itinerary. When she meets Judy on her first morning in Sweden, she gives her a copy and explains all that she has planned for her. But first, the media want to meet her. Britt escorts her to the Grand Hotel where Swedish TV is waiting to interview Judy. The boat tour to see the bridges of Stockholm is scheduled to depart at 1 p.m. It doesn't start well. It's chilly, there's a bit of a crowd, and chaos breaks out as everyone tries to get on board. Britt fears for Judy, Yet Judy cracks jokes and the tension eases. They decide to skip the visit to the National Museum of Fine Arts. Back at the hotel, beautiful roses from Retland greet Judy to her delight. Tuesday starts at 9.30 a.m. with a three-hour visit to Drottingholm Palace, the country home of the Swedish royal family. This is the only time Judy reveals her fragility to Brit. At the foot of the palace's grand marble staircase, she hesitates. She feels uneasy, but she wants to follow the guide. Britt suggests that she'll go up the stairs right behind Judy to cushion her if she does fall. Judy likes the idea and climbs the stairs carefully. On the way back down, Britt goes just in front of her. At the bottom, she thanks Britt. 
It was marvelous to experience such places with this old history. We don't have these old buildings in Canada. Brit swells with pleasure. Now it's time for Judy to work. They return to the city by boat as the weather is fine. Dr. Eric Vinars had asked Judy and Marlene to visit a young woman at the hospital who is ready to be discharged home on TPN. At the hospital, the doctors and nurses expressed their concerns to Marlene and Judy about how their patient will manage on her own living on an island far from the hospital. Well, Judy lives two hours from the hospital, Marlene informs the staff. Their eyes open wide. How has she managed? While Marlene answers this question, Judy approaches the young woman. She, too, is worried about how she'll manage. Judy tells her that she has coped for over a decade and that she's fine. The woman's fears evaporate under Judy's warm confidence. The visit ends with an interview with a newspaper reporter. The planned visit to the Meal Sculpture Garden is cancelled so that Judy can rest before the evening celebration. Twelve Canadians and their new friends fet this banner day at a posh hotel by the river. A waiter takes food orders, but when he approaches Judy, she tells him, no, thank you. He frowns. He asks again. She says no again. Judy can see he's upset that she's occupying his table but not eating. He insists. She starts to feel awkward in front of all these people at perpetually having to say no. Marlene rises, takes the waiter's arm, and pulls him away. Excuse me, but this lady does not and medically cannot eat, and I would appreciate it if you don't pressure her any longer. He looks over at the so-called ill lady and looks back at Marlene. He's not buying it. Look, we're a group of physicians. I am the nurse, and she is the patient. He looks properly this time. Judy, watching their exchange, smiles her glorious eye-crinkling smile, the one that pulls people in. He smiles back. He's hooked. He believes. He ensures that she's well cared for the rest of the night as the others feast on caviar, wine, reindeer, and cloudberries. Wednesday, June 16th is Judy's big day. Throughout breakfast, her nerves ratchet up. At Massan, the site of the Congress, Gige, Marlene, George, Retland, Joe Fisher, and Henri Joyeux from France step up to the podium for a special symposium on home parental nutrition. Retland brings out two women and asks the packed room, which do you think is the patient? The attendees are perplexed. Both look healthy. Both look normal. He introduces Judy as a patient. The audience gasps and applauds wildly as she takes her place on the panel. She reads her summary and Retland invites questions from the audience. Judy, what's it like to be on home TPN? Judy hesitates before averring. It feels good. The room roars and Judy relaxes and enters the fray of the question and answer session with gusto referring some questions to the experts on the panel and adding her own take to the occasional question directed at one of the medical people. But the experts on the panel are just the supporting cast to the star, Judy. Rantland ends the session so that Jeej and Judy can make their way to the press conference in room K-14. Ever since they had landed, Judy's telephone has rung with so many interview requests that Marlene has become Judy's press agent, not just her nurse. Now those reporters fill a room, eager for their chance to talk to Judy directly. Jeej speaks to the crowd about Judy's history and describes Home TPN, the location of the Langer line, and her feeding routine. Then he takes questions. Everyone zooms in on Judy. Judy, what's it like to be on Home TPN? Do people notice? Judy, who looks so well? How do you do it? Where are your tubes and bags? Judy, are you ever sick? 
Judy boggles at the difference between this conference and the one held a month earlier in Toronto where, despite Marlene's persistent calling of the press, only a Toronto Star reporter showed up. The reporter had written up a tiny article on what was happening with home TPN in Canada. Here in Sweden, the jostling journalists are rabid to know everything until Jeej calls a halt to the Q&A. Judy has started to tire, and he has other commitments at the Congress. The marketing department hosts a luncheon at 1 p.m. for Judy, Marlene, and George. Judy notices the director's unease at her drinking only water at a luncheon in her honor, and so she starts joking with them all. Her enthusiasm infects the others, and the room fills with chatter as food fills their stomachs. Judy takes note of what they are eating and records it in her itinerary. Delicious. Shrimp. Steak. Britt calls for Judy that evening at her hotel to take her on the four-hour archipelago tour, which starts at the quay outside the Grand Hotel at 7 p.m. under the bright northern sun. Judy enjoys it hugely and finds it very much like her familiar stomping grounds at the Halliburton Waterways, where she and Cliff sometimes boat during the summer. She no longer has a fear of getting wet, having gained confidence about what she can and cannot do from her decade of experience on TPN. Again, food plays part in the itinerary, and Judy eagerly sops it all up into her memory. By this time, Britt is getting used to eating in front of Judy, whether it's raw or smoked herring or strawberries and cream. But even those who know Judy well can feel uneasy eating around her and don't realize how much vicarious pleasure she takes from watching them consume food as Marlene is learning on this trip. After spending Thursday morning together sightseeing, Judy had the luxury of sleeping in first, and shopping for t-shirts, Marlene's stomach starts to rumble. Judy looks at her. Okay, it's lunchtime. You have to eat. Oh no, it's okay. No, 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 you have to eat. Just because I don't eat doesn't mean you can't. I eat all night. You don't. So it's time for your lunch. Let's go get lunch. She drags Marlene to an enticing restaurant, looks over Marlene's menu, and points out what she should eat, ending with dessert. I think you should have some cloudberry ice cream. Marlene duly orders the dessert, and they share. Judy puts a spoonful in her mouth. She closes her lips over the spoon bowl, enjoying the feel of the cold dessert on her palate. She pulls the utensil out slowly as she lets the ice cream melt in her mouth, the flavor exploding her taste buds. She exclaims as the cold cream flows out her G-tube into her leg bag, freezing her leg. But the deliciousness of the ice cream is worth the head of cold, and she laughs it off. Anyway, this happens often when she drinks cold water, which is so refreshing in her mouth. Marlene has not seen the side of being on home TPM before, and files it away in her mind to help her patients back at home. Finally that night, Judy has supper with Jeej, and the next day she's shopped and whopped to her heart's content as she scrawls on her itinerary. Ingalil and her daughter Anna take Judy and Marlene on a final sightseeing tour to Skansen, the open-air museum. Judy's abscess has not yet broken and drained, and the pain threatens to overwhelm her. But when she hears that the breakfasts have two dachshunds, she gets some talking about dogs, theirs and hers, soaking up every detail so that her mind has no room for the pain. By the end of the week, Britt and Judy are friends. She invites Judy and her gang to her home for casserole dinner on the last night of their stay. They enjoy a pleasant evening in Britt's apartment. Judy sits on the couch, looking out the window at the late night sun and the view of the lake, memorizing this moment. The abscess is a distant memory. The pain is gone. This dinner, with her hosts and her healthcare team, 
this week of seeing another country and another culture, this time of being in demand, this moment is reality. I am a lucky girl, she thinks. You have been listening to Lifeliner, The Judy Taylor Story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible, podcast by the author Shireen Jijiboy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King Is Back by Echoed, licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under Instrumental Music for Film and Video. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy.